I want to talk to you just briefly about power for the journey. Power for the journey. But before I share in the way of a message, I just want to acknowledge that it is good to be back in worship. <laughs> it is good to be back in worship. I, um, and I have felt the prayers every, every single day, all through the day, really. I am just thanking God and praising God for the goodness that I have experienced in my recuperation. I'm still recuperating, but I, I feel like it's just about done. And uh, I know, I know that the prayers, I felt the prayers. I felt them in the hospital. I felt them even since I've been back. And, and it's just been wonderful to know that there are so many people praying and caring for me. And I just thank God for that. And I know that this has all happened because God has caused it to happen in my life. And I'm very grateful. And I'll just briefly say, uh, I have experienced very, very little pain. Uh, very, a lot of awkwardness, fear that I never, in a way that I never experienced it before, but it was a lesson in that. Um, I've experienced a lot of caring and nurturing. It's just been a mix of wonderful, wonderful things. So I just thank God for it all. And I'm still sitting with what it all means to me in my journey. And I just thank you for being a part of uh, my recuperation, my, my healing, and uh, anything that you have contributed, whether it's been food or prayers or, you know, a card, whatever. Thank you very much. Love you. <laughs> As you heard the reading of this text, the majority of these verses, 16 verses to be exact, deals primarily with the story of a king's birthday party during which John the Baptist was beheaded. The story is pretty scandalous and filled with nuances of lust, exploitation, power plays, and an adulterated game with wealth. In an attempt to make this story meaningful to us in our own present-day context, my mind went to our own capital and the scandalous stories that have come from there recently. It was not difficult to consider paralleling the nuances of this story with the scandalous behaviors and tactics we see coming out of Washington. The temptation was there for me to take those similarities and build a case for what we as followers of Christ can learn when we see people in seats of power subjected to moral and ethical deprivation. But needless to say, it would have been an eisegetical message. One that I would have been, it would have been me, very little spirit in it, believe me. Uh, however, after several readings of the entire sixth chapter, thanks be to God, the spirit took me in a different direction. It became obvious that this scandalous story is merely Mark's parenthetical explanation of why Herod had said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Herod was seeing and hearing in Jesus what he has seen and heard in John. It appears that though ungodly as he was, 
Herod knew that though he had killed a prophet, he hadn't killed the power of anointing that came with the prophet. I contend that the true message that Mark intended for the hearers of that day is the message that we are called to hear tonight. The true message then is God would have us to be less concerned with what the enemy is doing in high places and more concerned about what God is doing in many places and in many ways. The story of how and why John the Baptist was beheaded is parked between the story of two major events in the life and ministry of Jesus and his disciples. Mark has been telling the story of Jesus sending the twelve on a mission, a very successful mission. And then he interrupts that story to tell this story of the death of John the Baptist. And then he comes back to the story of the twelve, which he concludes with this verse. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So the relevant question for us is, what had they done? Simply put, they had done what the Lord had empowered them to do. They had called men and women, boys and girls, to repentance. They had cast out demons. They anointed many who were sick and healed them. For it was Jesus the Christ who had called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. They did what they did by the power which the Lord had imparted to them. I would venture to say that each of us has to ask the question, what is it that God has empowered me to do? It may not be laying hands on the sick and healing them or casting out demons. What we all know, though, is if you are part of the body of Christ, then you are called and empowered to do something. And before I get too far, I must acknowledge that I'm aware that all of us don't use the words anointing and empowerment the same way, but what I'm talking about here is an understanding that Jesus has given each of us gifts and talents. But some of those gifts and talents are often filled with a power that is meant for transformation, transformation of things, people, and situations. It's an anointing that always brings joy and gladness to our own hearts as we allow God to use us. And it is a good thing to discern what those things are for ourselves. And consequently, don't think for a moment that your anointing has to look like somebody else's. For blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose in Christ before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. What situations? Whose life are you called to affect in your journey? An example of what it looks like to walk in the power of God has been given us. In so many ways and in so many people, I considered highlighting a few prominent, well-known national and historical figures, but then I got a text from Jabril. <laughs> 
His text reminded me that we don't have to look to national or international or historical figures to see what God is doing. There are those in our midst and in our own lifetime that we know have been instruments of change because they walked in the power that our Lord had given them for the journey. And in our own lifetime, we can see God moving in many places and in many ways. And I can imagine that if I invited you now to think about people in your life, in your own community, in your own sphere of influence, who make great differences, who impact lives of people day in and day out, that you could think of some and you could name some. But when Jabril sent that text, he sent a text about a man named John Coleman, Jr. And John Coleman was the director for the Peter Paul Center here in Richmond, right over at 22nd and X Street, adjoined to St. Peter's Episcopal Church. And in this article that he sent as an attachment, it talks about I started said Dr. Coleman. I guess he would be considered doctor to many people. But, but Mr. Coleman, this, this article highlights some of the things that are important for us to hear about people who are committed to walking and living in the power that God has given us to do the work that we are called to do. And this article says Coleman director of the Peter Paul Development Center on Churchill, grew up a Baptist in Richmond, but now is a lay leader in the National Episcopal Church. He never graduated from college, but has a master's degree in psychology and has attempted, attended a seminary for two years. His rapid speech is a mix of erudition and black street talk Minus all the, what is this, but, uh, this dark print so I can barely read it. <laughs> all of the, oh, mild profanities. <laughs> he is considered, he is co consistently demanding, demanded as a speaker at conferences, schools, and churches. Coleman 50 has been a sailor, a poster clerk, a community and youth worker for anti-poverty, Richmond Community Action Program, which is now called RCAP. He is doing what he says he loved best, trying to instill, pe trying to instill people with self-respect, a sense of purpose, and a sense of belonging to a community of all God's people. And this article also says that Coleman, encompasses a mass of contradictions in his roly-poly frame and hectic life. Coleman talked with, I'm just reading excerpts from this article. Coleman talked with an infectious passion about his work this week at the center, a cinder block addition to St. Peter's Episcopal Church at 1719 North 22nd Street. 
We're always talking about coming together, black and white, rich and poor, but we try to come together on the basis of how we're different, not on what we have in common, he said. We get hung up on race, sex, money, and schools, which in our secular society is important. He closed his eyes in concentration and drew his hands in a circle underneath his goatee. We forget the word human. Human comes from the word humus, and the word humus means soil, dirt. That is what we come from. If we can venture back to the dirt and our lives, and we will realize our differences don't make any difference. God is not that concerned about our sins. What God is concerned about is the goodness in us. That's something we don't pay any attention to. All we try to do is walk around and be in touch with what the blank is wrong with all the time. <laughs> and I'm going to jump over a little bit here and said this week Coleman with his open high government class asked his students what city district do you live in? And one of the students who didn't know him said didn't know said I can tell you where the party is going on Saturday, Saturday night, but I can't tell you who's in my district. Coleman's face lit up, and he began to probe. Outpour the students' frustration about feeling powerless, about trying to please parents whose values they reject about living in a world where the world is measured by the schools they attended. Dropping down further, finally he challenged them, is your collective responsibility to make the first step to a change? If you get frustrated now, as young as you are, you're going to be frustrated for a blank of a long time. During the class, a tall man, worn clothes and slurred speech, entered the center and said quietly, sat quietly in a chair by the door, laughing occasionally at, at Coleman's jokes. After the class, the man showed Coleman some topsider shoes in an L.L. Bean catalog. These are nice, Coleman said. Are these the kind you want? Coleman later explained that he was planning to buy shoes for the man, who he said was retarded and did not have decent footwear. Coleman said, he doesn't know too many things, but he knows my name and he knows I'm going to pay some attention to him when he comes in. The power that comes from God is the power that made Jesus who Jesus was. 
It is the power that makes us who we are in Christ. It is by this power alone that we glorify God. Now it could be that the scandalous story was inserted to remind us that things aren't always easy or always pleasant. Mark could very well have been saying, look, terrible things happen. Nothing could be more terrible than this gruesome story of John's death, but don't be fooled. That is not the whole story. Something important is going on in the background, and that something is God is conquering evil. Disciples casting out demons, people being healed and delivered. God is absent. God is not absent. God is not, God is winning over evil. Yes, one good man was murdered, but dozens or hundreds were saved, healed, and delivered. Somebody got new shoes. The kingdom of God is being realized. This text is reminding us that God is at work in the world, and we should never wonder who's going to win. The story of John the Baptist's death, set inside the story of the apostles' successful mission, promises that God will always win, and that God's people will win also. Even though I contend that the message of Mark 6 is about finding your place of anointing, your place of empowerment, and living it, it's not about living some heroic and ambitious life. As Dr. King once said, it's not about doing great things, it's about doing small things in a great way. It's about living in utter dependence on God and those who God has placed in our lives. The power by which we are empowered brings healing, brings conviction, brings transformation, brings new life. The message of Mark 6 is an invitation to all of us to take our eyes off of the ills of this world and come away for a while on the other side. It's an invitation to turn our attention to what God is doing in us and in our midst. And we don't have to look for the power of God to come out of Washington or out of some prominent and established seat of power. Maybe it's just about looking to those ordinary individuals around us who are performing deeds of power, living lives that transform communities, heal the sick, and deliver our fellow human beings from the power of evil spirits. And the greatest invitation of all may be to stop expecting the power of anointing to rest on just one person. Rather, look to the many whom God has called and anointed to transform this world's eyes, hearts, and minds. Amen.